0: As support around the world grows for a ceasefire in Gaza, labor unions are no exception. Earlier in December, the United Auto Workers, or UAW, became the largest labor union to advocate for a permanent ceasefire. In a news conference on December 14th, representatives from the UAW, as well as the United Electrical Workers and the American Postal Workers Union, framed their decision to push the Biden administration for a ceasefire as part of a long history of labor movements supporting human rights at home and abroad, according to Al Jazeera. I spoke with representatives of Labor for Palestine, or LFP, a union-led campaign which endorses the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, or BDS, picket line against Israeli occupation and apartheid in Palestine, to learn more about recent anti-war organizing taken by unions in wake of the increasingly deadly war on Gaza. This interview was conducted on November 13th, 2023. As of today, December 21st, Al Jazeera reports that the death toll in Gaza has surpassed 20,000.
1: Okay, um, good morning, Zoe. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I am a retired member of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union Local Ten in San Francisco, uh, a union that is responsible for the loading and unloading of maritime cargo on the West Coast. Anything that comes overseas, come from overseas, we are responsible for loading that particular uh, cargo or unloading it. And so we're critical to the global economy. Um, I'm a third generation longshore worker and, and currently publisher of a company, small company called Declare Publishing, which publishes books related to labor and solidarity actions
2: and my name is Michael Letwin. So huh, thanks for having us. Uh, Clarence and I both work with a group called Labour for Palestine, and we've been in, exist- in existence in that form since 2004, and are committed to the struggle for a free Palestine, and especially for focusing on the role of labor and trade unions in particular in that process, along with community organizations, in support of the Palestinian um, struggle, and Specifically, to try to turn around the historic support among labor officialdom, for the most part, for Zionism, which has really been against the interests of Palestinians and also against the interests of workers in this country.
0: Um, Labor for Palestine as a labor-driven campaign for justice in the Middle East. um, Who exactly does this campaign entail?
2: It's, It's a network. And we've had uh, many statements and actions since 2004. And on those statements, they're generally sign on statements. So we issue a statement, uh, Clarence and I, and a, a core group of people, and then we ask people to sign on to those statements. And of course, across the course of that two decades that we've been doing it, We've had many thousands of trade unionists individually in this in this country, particularly in this country, to sign on in support of that. So uh, people from all kinds of different unions, um, community groups that we work with as well, especially from the Palestinian community. Uh, As Clarence referenced, there's in the Bay Area, there's the Arab Resources and Organizing Center. We're very close with with them in particular because of their involvement and their leadership in Block the Boat, which Clarence can discuss more. But the point really is to build on the tradition, the heritage of support for Palestinians within the labor movement. It's a very small uh, or rather a narrow uh, group, you know, historically, but nonetheless is very important in terms of being built on the shoulders of the black and, and Arab workers in particular who, 50 years ago and more organized in places like Detroit to confront the support that their union, in that case, the UAW was giving to to Zionism and to the role that, and and so they, we can talk more about the details, but that's the general idea. And then that same tradition, um, and Clarence will speak about this has, you know, has been taken up on the West coast, uh, especially through the ILWU. So we're trying to change and connect uh, the, Way in which working class people in this country have a way to support Palestinian workers and Palestinian people, rather than their labor officials who are on the other side, on the wrong side of it.
1: ILWU has a long uh, record of supporting the cause of Palestinian self determination, goes back several decades. ILWU local ten, which is the um, union of legendary labor leader of the twentieth century Harry Bridges, is a uh, the most radical sector of the ILWU, and it's been in the vanguard of the labor movement in terms of standing up for uh, the issues of the working class and the oppressed at home and and abroad. We can go back to 1935 when uh, Italy invaded um, uh, Ethiopia. There was a community um, picket line that came uh, to block the shipment of nickel that was going to... Uh, Italy. And then in 1939, after the Japanese invaded uh, China, specifically Manchuria, uh, we were um, loading uh, scrap iron that was destined to go to Japan. Uh, Community people came out and we did not cross that picket line. Part of the ILWU 10 guiding principles calls for us to uh, respect all picket lines as if they were our own. And that's a very critical part of how the ILWU has been able to uh, um, act in solidarity with a number of um, actions that have been called for by the Palestinian community, even though the union may not have taken any formal action. And I think that's the power of the rank and file. Um, Let me just say that one of the most significant things to happen um, during the time that I was a long show worker, as it relates to the Palestinian uh, solidarity actions, was in 2010. Uh, you may recall that uh, there were 10 uh, humanitarian Turkish um, activists that were killed by Israeli commandos on in international waters. And so after that, um, that massacre went down, uh, there was something like 500 community and labor activists, and it was very significant. It was the first time that organized labor had come out and taken some action against Zionism. And so on the first shift, longshore workers didn't cross the picket line, of course. Uh, and then the employers, they didn't even request a gang for the night shift <laughs> because of their uh, they recognized the, the solidarity the ship that was being boycotted or should I say blockaded was a Zim vessel, which Zim line represents the largest shipping line in Israel. Uh, this, is, this action was very reminiscent of the action taken by the ILWU during the anti-apartheid struggle. Um, there are various connections between this the anti-apartheid struggle uh, activism of ILWU local 10 in refusing to unload South African cargo for 11 days in
2: 1984
1: and then in 2014 the um uh, implementation of uh, block the boat where there was one vessel that was supposed a Zim vessel that was supposed to have been uh protested against but for four whole days longshore workers refused not only to cross the picket line, but to take those jobs that were being dispatched to that particular vessel, which really does show the, um, the historical traditions uh, of the rank and file being able to carry through on some actions, notwithstanding the fact that there may not have been any formal um, uh, positions taken by the by the leadership the actions at the point of production when longshore workers don't work uh, that disrupts international global uh, uh, supply chain when nelson mandela was on robben island he heard about the iowu refusing to unload cargo for 11 days he was very hardened by that and it played a very important role in the boycott divestment sanction struggle it's important that the listeners understand the connection between these two struggles. South Africa apartheid was an apartheid state, and so is Israel. But it is within that tradition that the ILWU continues to provide the kind of rank-and-file solidarity action that aids uh, in some small way the workers' resistance to um apartheid uh um um uh Israel and specifically to the the genocide that's going on at this particular moment, uh, the collective punishment on the part of of the Israeli regime and 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 workers
2: have a role that they can play. Well let me let me go back to you Zaha and see whether um you know where you'd like to go at this point.
0: Well, I did want to touch a bit more on Block the Boat and other recent efforts taken by LFB. I know that the campaign has called on workers to prevent the arming of the Israeli state and companies involved in the infrastructure of the blockade. Has Block the Boat been the primary mode of doing so?
1: Well, let me just say this, that here on the West Coast, it has. And uh, to the extent that Zimline doesn't even come to Oakland anymore. They, they just don't show up. But what they have done is to have uh, vessels that are under their auspices to come, but may not be a Zim ship specifically. But I think it's important to talk about something that took place um, about two weeks ago, and that was on October the 3rd. There was a vessel by the name of the MV Cape Orlando that had been in the port of Oakland for maybe approximately a year was just birthed there which means it was parked <laughs> and uh, so we got word that there was um uh, that this vessel was going to be destined to um israel now when i say we i'm talking about people who are active in the movement uh, regarding the issue of block the boat and even though I'm retired from the waterfront, I'm not retired from the struggle. So I still have connections and, and relationships with people who are involved with Block the Boat. Uh, suffice it to say that we learned that this vessel was going to uh, is, uh, Israel, but that it was first going to stop in Tacoma, Washington. And the reason why is because in Tacoma, it's close to the McCord. Uh, military base, and so, but to show you the determination and 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 and, and the uh, the courage of the young Palestinian uh, demonstrators, they were allowed to go right on the dock, right in front of the uh, MV Cape Orlando, and demonstrate, which was really quite surprising, and. The ship was scheduled to leave in the morning. Well, protesters actually boarded the vessel and delayed it for more than nine hours. When the ship arrived in the port of Tacoma, there were some 800 to 1,000 uh, demonstrators who had a picket line, and that picket line was observed by 40 Longshore workers that are rem- that are members of. ILWU Local 23 in Tacoma. The military did not engage the demonstrators. What they did was determine, hey, this ship has to be loaded. And if longshore workers are not going to do it, we're going to do it. And they had to board the ship from the water side using watercraft. And this is a dangerous operation to board a vessel from the waterside, And the military has to load that vessel. The military, I mean, let me tell you some of the things that was on the vessel. Humvees, uh, cargo trucks, uh, armored personnel carriers, uh, mobile rocket launchers, uh, and the like. Uh, it, it, it's what they call a row-row ship, which means that cargo can be rolled on and rolled off. It is particularly significant to point out that how I mentioned before the ILWU's 10 guiding principles, we, refuse, we will refuse to cross any picket line and recognize it as if I were our own, is because of something that our union organizers uh, it, it, who established this union understood. And that is that this is a working class, left-wing, radical union. It is not a union that will allow the police to escort us through picket lines. We don't do that kind of foolishness. I think it's also important to understand this. In two thousand and twenty-one, when the I when the IOW local ten did not cross the picket line for another block the boat uh, organizing effort, not only did the ship not get loaded in San get in, in the port of Oakland, it then went to Seattle where there were picking lines by block, and then to Tacoma. And then it ended up going to um, Vancouver, British Columbia. And so what it meant was that not only were rank and fileers in the port of Oakland, local 10 engaged, but so were the the workers in Seattle, the local 19 and local 23 and Vancouver. One of the things I can say about Longshore workers is that we have employers, not only at all of our ports, but all around the world, we have the same employers. And so to to wrap it up, I think one of the most significant things to point out is that there are uh, solidarity actions on the part of longshore workers in Melbourne, Australia, in Barcelona, Spain. But one of the most critical to me of actions that have taken place is in taking place in Kent, K-E-N-T, in in the UK, you actually have workers who work at a plant that manufactures weapons. And it was reported that over 400 trade unionists disrupted operations at a a weapons factory. And the name of the, the entity that owns this operation is BAE Systems the largest weapons firm in in Britain. It manufactures components for Israel's F-35 stealth combat aircraft. Now, this is actually taking point at the point of production, specifically related to the manufacturing of weapons. And while this genocide is taking place, workers are standing in solidarity and taking action. And this is very important and I'd just like to conclude with this. There's a major contradiction between the position of the AFL-CIO and the rank and file of the trade union movement in the United States of America. Because of the AFL-CIO, and I call them the junior partners to the Democratic Party, they have refused and prohibited any labor council or state labor federation from being able to write a resolution calling for immediate ceasefire. That is totally unacceptable. And so we can see how the power of the rank and file is so important and how in many instances there is a disconnect between the rank and file and the leadership. Workers, not only the
2: power to deal with immediate issues before them but as Clarence said to respect all picket lines as though they were our own and the Palestinian struggle as far as American labor is concerned is a picket line the you know Palestinian trade unions have put up a picket line against the apartheid settler colonial regime in 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 Palestine I think it's important to say also that it's not a question of Israel Palestine as some people say mm-hmm. Palestine is is a is a nation Israel is not a country in our in our view israel is a regime that happens to be sitting atop of historic palestine and we don't separate it between gaza and the west bank and 1948 palestine it's all palestine it always has been it always will be and one day it'll be ruled again by palestinians and it'll it'll be free and liberated and that's why it's a question of this kind of worker action, because we can play a really important role in the solidarity that Palestinian workers are asking of us. And I think it's also important to point out that this is what Palestinian workers are asking of us. Uh, on October 16th, when the genocide, the current genocide, was underway already in Gaza, the Palestinian trade unions issued a call to all workers around the world saying, please stop the weapons from getting here. Get your unions to, 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 to step in and do something. So our, all, everything we do, including the statement that we, really, that we recently issued in response to that on October 24th, which people can see at laborforpalestine.net and sign on to, all of these things, and of course, most importantly, block the boat and the work that, that Clarence is talking about and the other kinds of worker direct action, that's our way of responding to the call that has been given to us. And it's no, nothing less than our, our duty to respond to it in that way. Clarence's members certainly have historically been willing to put their money where their mouth is. I mean, literally. Because when they don't handle cargo on an Israeli ship, they don't get paid. And we think this is going to be spreading throughout the country. We think we're going to be seeing these kinds of actions happening at other ports. And there are people, by the way, on the outside of factories now, increasingly at Raytheon and Boeing you know, and Colt Firearms. They're blocking, And we're hoping that workers will respect that community picket line by not handling those goods. I I think it's uh, a very important
1: to underscore how critical it is for unions, rank and filers to write resolutions and make statements because that's where it all starts from. While I don't want to minimize the issue of marches and rallies, uh, The ruling class sees that as spectacle. They really do. We understand that the the Biden administration understands it in terms of votes and in terms of what the American people or what people around the world are thinking. But just let me say this, the most important thing that the Department of Defense, the Secretary of State and and the Biden administration You can bet your bottom dollar they got the word right away about the actions that were taken at the Port of Oakland when demonstrators were willing to get arrested and board that vessel and delay it, longshore workers in in Tacoma refusing to cross, cross the picket line, necessitating the military. All of this information went straight to the White House. It is because of the fact that this direct action is something that can be contagious, And workers feel emboldened when they see other workers standing up. They feel that they're not alone because of what the the Zionists are attempting to, make it appear that if you are opposed to Zionism, that you're anti-Semitic. Nothing could be further from the truth. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They're saying, that if you make that statement, you're talking about annihilating Israel, the Israeli people. And so they have, I don't think that there has been this kind of a political reactionary political atmosphere since the McCarthy era, where people are so intimidated that they're self-censoring themselves to make any statement on the part of the Palestinians because of their, they're afraid that they're going to be fired from their jobs or called anti-Semitic.
2: I think also it reminds uh, us of the moments right after 9-11 mm-hmm. when the same kind of Islamophobia and censorship and uh, fear was being inflicted uh, on, well, especially on Arab Muslim people in this country and certainly, you know, the millions who who, who perished under US, the U.S. war machine abroad during that time in Afghanistan and Iraq and Palestine and so forth but also the fear that that people have to speak up and and that's i think why it's so admirable actually that there are now thousands and millions of people in this country and around the world the dc uh, demonstration uh, a couple a week ago for palestine the numbers are something like 300,000 people turning out for that it's a lot, by far the largest demonstration for palestine in the history of this country and what's re- really quite remarkable i think is that given what Clarence is is pointing to, the repression, is that so many people are nonetheless willing to stand up and speak out and put their names on statements and act. So, you know, we have almost 600 named trade unionists on our statement, rank and file trade unionists, who know that they could be targeted for putting their name on this thing. But nonetheless, do it because they're not prepared to remain silent in the face of the genocide. And you can be sure that at all these demonstrations, there is video being taken by the powers that be and fed into all kinds of facial recognition software, much of it produced by the Israeli regime, uh, in order to identify and target people who are there. And yet, you know, the more repression there is, the louder the movement gets. Uh, we see it the same thing happening with the uh, with the indictment of the activists at Cop City in Atlanta, being indicted for under RICO statute for being for organizing protests uh, against Cop City. So these things are all parallel. But I think it's going to be very hard for the for the for the as as Clarence puts for the ruling class to put it all back in the bottle. It's out. The genocide is so intense in you know in Gaza. That it's always the, the the regime in this case the Israeli regime the American regime that backs it and so forth that is actually organizing people because it's it's always the, the regimes that that play a role in getting people organized. Now that doesn't mean that they you know that we don't have a role to play. Of course we do, but they're the what they do delegitimizes themselves, and that's what we see happening here. It's the largest anti-war movement in the last twenty years, and it's around the issue of Palestine. Uh, People are mobilizing the way they never have for Palestine in this country, at least. And that includes increasingly workers and and people in, uh, you know, trying to get their unions on the right track. And it goes along with the overall movement to get their unions on the right track in terms of union democracy, union reform, and and, and struggling around immediate bread and butter issues. But a union like mine, the UAW, for example, which just got an amazing contract in the auto industry because it was a rank and file based uh leadership now now the challenge is is that okay that's great but the, but the union has to do just as well when it comes to this particular pe- picket line to the Palestinian picket line and we are calling as a UAW member and other hundreds of, and even thousands of other UAW members are calling on the UAW leadership to do the right thing to say stop the genocide stop arming Israel divest its own investments in Israel bonds and its own relationships with racist organizations like the Jewish Labor Committee and the so-called Union in Israel. Or it's not even possible to do a good job on your immediate issues if you're not doing the same job on the broader issues of solidarity. Because there, are, the other side is organized. We have to be organized. The other side is unified. We have to be unified. And we have to not be afraid to stand up and do what's right. I, I think that it's absolutely critical
1: for... Uh, labor organizations, ecum- ecumenical organizations, community organizations, social justice groups, to be even more determined than ever to seize on this space an opportunity, as negative as it is, to really move forward on the BDS, as Michael talked about, because that's critical. It worked in South Africa. It can work with the issue of apartheid Israel. And there's been a great deal of focus on the part of the Israeli intelligence service to spend time and effort focusing in on stopping BDS because they know how successful it was. I wrote a book. It's an anthology, and it's called Mobilizing in Our Own Name, The Million Worker March. Much of what I have discussed today about the uh, the block to boat and other solidarity actions is in this book. I just want to call the attention to something in 2023 and the man who wants to be called the most uh, supportive president of labor in the history and it's a bunch of BS, he's genocide Joe. We have to understand that we cannot be controlled by the democratic party. Labor needs to organize and mobilize around its own issues and war is not in the interest of working people. We fight those wars and we die in those wars, but we also stand up and fight against those wars like we're doing right now. We cannot turn the blind eye to genocide.
0: For KCSB News, this is Zoha